Well, good morning again. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Philemon. This wonderful little letter that we are working our way through. As we've talked about, Philemon is really, I believe, Colossians in action, in particular Colossians 3, 10 through 17, being lived out in real time. And I think it's really gracious of the Lord to give us such a profound example of the application of the passages that we've looked at in Colossians here in the life of Philemon and Onesimus, certainly a challenging situation, one that would... um, uh, strain the most seasoned saint, as it were, with regard to what Paul is calling Philemon to do with Onesimus. And we're going to see that in even greater depth today as we move from verse 15 into verse 16. And so we'll get there momentarily. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this day that you've given to us. We certainly enjoy the sunshine and the clear blue skies and and an opportunity to enjoy that at this time of year. Uh, but we're so grateful, Lord, that you continue to work in our lives and, and, and reveal to us um, the wonder and majesty of our salvation. Um, as we look at this passage in Philemon, may we not lose that focus to the fact that as the redeemed of Christ, we're able to do things that we would never have done before or couldn't effectively do before doing these things with a different heart, a different mindset, an attitude that reflects the wonders of God's grace in our life as we read this morning in Ephesians chapter 2. We understand, Lord, that before the foundation of the world that you saw fit to write our names in the Lamb's book of life and that you even prepared before our existence, the works, the good works that you would have us to do. And I think in part, Lord, we see these very things unfolding here in the book of Philemon. Those things that we're exhorted to do in Colossians chapter 3 are things that have been given to people who have the ability to do them. And we rejoice over the fact that you have seen fit to so equip us and to empower us to do them through the Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord, that you would be pleased with our worship this morning, that you would forgive us for our sins, that you would cause us to reflect on the wonder and majesty of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray this morning. Amen. So Philemon, let's go ahead and read this short little letter. Um, Again, just a a significant book in the context of the canon of Scripture. We really don't have anything else like it. A personal letter written to a friend in the midst of a difficult situation um, that would be challenging um, for anybody to face. And so let's read this, and we'll get into the, the passage again. First one, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. 
And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to me, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was for this reason separated for you, from you for a while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he, was, but if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand, I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time, also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus greets you. As do Mark... Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And so we've been unpackaging this important letter. We understand that Paul is writing directly to Philemon, but he's also incorporated the church into this correspondence. And so we understood that we would understand then that this letter, along with the epistle of Colossians, the letter that we've gone through, would also have been read to the congregation that was assembled in Philemon's house, a context and a setting that I think is significant. And with this letter comes Onesimus, the runaway slave. Something that, that Philemon most likely would not have anticipated or would have understood in advance, bearing in mind that the means of communication were difficult at that point in time. You could only communicate by letter or by word of mouth, and it's not likely that this information was getting back to him in advance of Onesimus' arrival. And so Onesimus arrives with others, and with them is this short little letter to Philemon that is then read aloud to the congregation. The exhortation, of course, is to Philemon, but the exhortation also flows out to the rest of the congregants. And the exhortation basically is that I want you to watch Philemon demonstrate the Christian virtues of which I have spoken. I want you to be an encouragement to him. I want you to come alongside, and I want you to learn a lesson as it relates to the application of what it truly means to be the redeemed of Christ in the most difficult of settings, in situations that would strain human relationships in any context, in the dynamics of something that even culturally may be acceptable, but I want you to understand and see that these two men are going to be different and treat each other differently because of Jesus Christ, and I want you to help them do that. 
and I want you to learn the lesson as well as you observe. That's significant. The letter is directed to Philemon, but the church is incorporated as well, and they're brought in as observers and to be instructed by example. And so Philemon has this exhortation, and Paul commends him, of course. He knows that Philemon is a, is a strong believer. He is well-loved um, and liked. His home is open to this church. He has a good testimony. But Paul is saying, I'm going to take you farther now. I'm going to push you beyond what you think, where you think you're at. And I'm going to ask of you to do something that goes against every fiber in your body. I'm going to ask you to love Onesimus. I'm going to ask you to extend to him a level of grace and mercy that is going to boggle the minds of people around you and within the culture. I'm going to call you to be salt and light. And I'm, I'm, I'm even going to say things to you, Philemon, that you may find even somewhat offensive because the, the punch in verse 16, as, we, as we're going to see, is that Paul then raises Onesimus to the same level of love that Paul has for Philemon. So in Paul's mind, there is no distinction between the two of them, and that's ultimately what we begin to see here. So in verse 15, let's go back and look. He says um, in verse 15, we understand leading up to that part that Paul is communicating that Onesimus is important to him, that Paul has, in in, in, in a metaphorical way given birth to him spiritually by leading him and introducing him to the Lord, by being the means by which God would save him. By God's providence, Onesimus is brought into the presence of Paul. We don't know necessarily how that happened. Perhaps it was because Onesimus may have known Epaphras and, and would have been comfortable reaching out to him and talking to him. He may not have known anybody else in Rome. It's a big city, a lot going on there, perhaps had not been there before. But whatever means, he ends up in Paul's presence. And Paul, understanding the circumstances and the situation, witnesses to him and talks to him about the things of Christ as he communicates in the book of Colossians and tells him about Jesus Christ and that he forgives sinners, even runaway slaves who are thieves. And so Paul sets the table for Philemon, letting him know that this man is very important to him. In verse 15, he reminds Philemon that these things happen for a reason. He says, for perhaps he was for this reason separated for you for a while, that you would have him back forever. As a brother, as a relationship, not just simply as a slave. It's unclear as to whether Philemon freed him or not. Church history indicates that, that Onesimus was perhaps involved in other churches and became a minister of the gospel in some context. It's unclear. That history may not be fully reliable, but nonetheless, there's a sense in which the dynamic of the relationship is going to change to such an extent that this runaway thief slave is going to now be his brother, not just temporally, but spiritually forever. What a significant point that Paul makes there for Philemon, and for all of us to be reminded of the eternality of our relationships with each other. My dad used to say the church is just a microcosm of heaven. It's just a sampling of what you're going to experience in glory. So look next to you. You're likely going to know them forever. <laughs> How good is that? 
And so for Paul, he's looking to Philemon to comprehend the magnitude and the wonder of Onesimus' salvation. This is amazing to me. So Paul is saying to Philemon, I'm going to ask you to look beyond the fact that you own him, that he stole from you and ran away from you. I want you to ponder the magnitude and wonder of the fact that God saved him. Because it's by and through that means that the two of them will be forever connected. By God's grace, he weaves them into the fabric of each other's lives, and forever they're going to be connected in that way. They are connected in that way right now in heaven. It's a beautiful picture. And he speaks to the idea that God, in fact, what would perceive to be something that would anger Philemon that God providentially separated them and now brings them back, that God's hand is in all of this. And he wants Onesimus to ponder, I mean Philemon to ponder that. And certainly Onesimus too would be thinking about that. But so verse 16, look at this. So in verse 16, he says to Philemon, Let's go back to 15. Let's get the whole sentence because it's, it's, a, it's a full sentence. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever, comma, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you both in the flesh and in the Lord. Verse 17 If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. Again, this is so significant. As it relates to the reality and the wonder of gospel transformation, this is truly the gospel for real life, is it not? This is what this looks like in the context and dynamics of our relationships with each other and the interactions that we have. What this means is that our relationship, our love for each other, the exhibition of these virtues rises above everything. Paul in verse 16, the language here, and I'm not going to get into the deep weeds about all the the grammatical structure and the Greek and everything, but it's significant at least in the context that Paul is using a structure a grammatical structure that would emphasize the fact that he considers Onesimus to be on equal footing with Philemon in his eyes. That So as far as relationships go and friendships go and connections go, Paul sees Philemon and Onesimus as complete equals. Indeed, the implication is that with the language and structure is that he even may elevate Onesimus a little higher. Significant. And and, and think about that for a minute because Philemon has a relationship with Paul. And and so there's there's somewhat of a a, a stinging um, uh, element to this. And I think it's done in part, and many commentators believe that Paul is trying to tease out for Philemon that, that he doesn't need to think of himself as higher or loftier than Onesimus in any context. That Paul himself, the apostle, the aged one who is in prison, sees he and Onesimus on equal footing because that's how the Lord sees them. 
That's how the Lord is dealing with them. Remember, the Bible is so amazing. Paul is applying in verse 16, Colossians 3, 11. Let's look. This is exactly what Paul is doing. So in your Bible, and it's okay to write in it, even if it's brand new and smells super good. I know that's hard to do, but you have my permission. And, and you got to do it. It's that, that first ink on the page. It's hard to do. I know. Get, I get it. But go ahead. So, look, so think about this for a minute. Paul, looking at Onesimus and Philemon in verse 6, 15 and 16, he is clearly reaching into the theology, the language of Colossians 3.11, where he says that we're, if you go back for a minute, Verse 9, do not lie to one another since you lay aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self. So this is the manifestation of that, that new creation in Jesus Christ. No longer sons of disobedience and children of wrath, as Paul would talk about in Ephesians 2, but ones who now have been equipped to do and to live out the reality of what God has done in them. So in verse 10, you have this, this new capacity and this, this new capacity, this identity is constantly being renewed and re, rejuvenated by the Holy Spirit based upon your growth and depth in God's word, which then causes us to, to, to rise and continue to imitate Christ, to reflect Christ in our lives. Verse 11, indeed, the renewal is so significant, the transformation is so mind-boggling that it breaks down every conceivable social construct that might seemingly be a barrier to a relationship with a person. It says this, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, and look, slave and free man. So Paul is reminding and, and, and is looking, perhaps anticipatorily, to Philemon to understand and comprehend the theology of Colossians chapter 3, and in particular 3.11, by saying to him, receive him as a brother. Indeed, he is a brother to me. At the same level, if perhaps not even greater, because of my involvement in his salvation. The one who, that God would use that way. Bear in mind that Christ is all and in all. So all this stuff, all of these things that would be a, a barrier to a proper relationship between Onesimus and Philemon depart as a consequence of salvation. And the, the reality of the salvation of both Onesimus and Philemon is that they're going to demonstrate this in real time in front of this congregation. That's what Paul anticipates. So there's, there's no excuses. What he's basically saying to Philemon is that you don't get to be angry at Onesimus. You don't get to punish him. 
You don't get to treat him or ostracize him. You're going to receive him and embrace him and demonstrate to him the reality of that there is no distinction between free man and slave. I expect you to love him in the context of that dynamic of what God has done for both of you. It's truly mind-blowing. We, how many times have you just kind of ran through Philemon? There are churches, as I've noted to you, who will not preach this because they find it offensive. It's got the word slave in it. It's got other things. It's got a context of slavery, all of that. They won't touch it. Robbing ourselves of a wonderful picture of God's amazing grace. Verse 16, he's no longer, don't, don't see him just as a slave, but he's more than that. As a beloved brother, and he's that to me. But how much more to you now, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So he's saying to Philemon that, that when he left you, he was an un, unsaved, thieving runaway. Now he's come back to you, the redeemed of Christ, the joint heir with Christ, your brother in Christ, one who is going to be your helper and your aid. I want you to love him in that way. Now, let's think about something for a minute because Paul then says something that's important. Verse 17, if then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. And so Paul here in this passage reminds Philemon of the dynamic of their own relationship and the significance of that. Paul's role as a friend, apostle, um, uh, one who had a role in even Philemon coming to the Lord. It's believed that Philemon, um, uh, like Epaphras, likely heard heard Paul preach in Ephesus and that God saved them. And that friendship, that friendship between Epaphras and Philemon bore itself out in the establishment of the church in Colossae, which then Philemon graciously offered to hold and conduct in his home. But Paul, in verse 17, says something that is important. If then you regard me a partner, accept him. Who's the him? It's Onesimus. As you would me. This word accept is important. It's to receive. To, 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 to embrace. It's not like, it's not, it doesn't mean just like to, to like receive a package and open it. It, it has bigger meaning than that. It, it's, to, it's to accept unconditionally because that's how Philemon would greet Paul, right? If Paul showed up, what would Philemon do? He'd kill the fatty calf, he'd have a party wouldn't he? He would just, it would be amazing. Paul's here. Paul's here. Let's get ready for Paul. Paul's here. And they'd be hugging and slapping each other on the back and embracing. There'd be tears. There'd be joy. There'd be comfort. There'd be peace. There'd be all of those things. Oh my goodness. He says to Philemon, I want you to do that with Onesimus. Unbelievable. It's simply, you, you can't make this stuff up. So, 
that picture for us is so powerful. So what's Paul saying to Philemon? He goes, I want you to live out the reality of your salvation by the manner in which you are going to receive and accept Onesimus, your runaway thieving slave. How did Christ receive you? Conditionally, I'll receive you if. I'll accept you if. But notice that Paul is basically saying to Philemon, no conditions. You accept him as he is. And who is he? He is your brother in Jesus Christ. That's who he is. And ultimately, what we then find is that the imperatives that flow out of the gospel, these gospel imperatives that we look at in Colossians chapter 3, are only possible because of gospel grace. Remember, Ephesians 2 would communicate to me this very idea. Go back with me for a moment. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Now, let's, we're going to do some things here, so watch what we're going to do. So you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna open up to Ephesians 2.10. You're going to turn over to Colossians 3.12, and then we're going to go back and look at Philemon 17. Okay? So get ready. Here we go. So what's going on then is this very principle of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 2 communicates to me who I was before God saved me. In the context of who I was before God saved me, my anticipated behavior is going to be known, right? Philemon, the unsaved slave owner, is going to do what to Onesimus? Sell him back into slavery? Kill him. Maybe. They were allowed. But, because of the way God's grace works and changes us, we now understand from Paul in Ephesians 2.10 that what? We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would do what? Walk in them. What The word walk, we know what from Scripture about that. It's a way of living, right? When the Bible uses the word walk, it communicates to me the principle or the idea of living in a way. Galatians chapter 5 tells me that there are those who walk in the flesh and there are those who walk in the spirit. There's a contrast there, right? There's a difference. Paul here then says that God, because of what he has done, and we are his workmanship, has prepared beforehand things that we will do to demonstrate that we are his workmanship and that we would then what? Walk in them. Let's find out. Colossians 3. Are you really going there again, Pastor? Absolutely. Look at this. This speaks into the idea, or about the idea, rather, of what Paul has just made reference to. Colossians 3.12, I'm his work, or Colossians 3.12 speaks to this idea of demonstrating the reality of that we are his indeed, indeed his workmanship. All right? That workmanship has created a new nature in me, a new capacity. So, 
There it is, verse 12. So, as those who have been chosen of God, it's exactly what Paul just said in Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. Now what? You're chosen of God. You're covenant people. That's what the holy and beloved means. He's he's reaching back into that Old Testament language by which he would identify the nation of Israel. And as the church, we we are the new Israel, if you will. The true Israel of God, Galatians chapter 6. And so the anticipation is going to be that we are going to live and act in a manner that is consistent with that identity. Right? So, he says, as these people, these covenant people, I'm going to do something. You're going to put on, because you can, put on, he's not asking you to do the impossible, put on a heart of compassion. That, that heart of compassion speaks to the idea of like the old Puritan language was what? Bowels of mercy. This, this idea of, of an overflowing acceptance and embracing. Heart of compassion. Out of that heart of compassion then flows these virtues. Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And so for Paul, he's saying to Philemon, I expect all of this to be on display. That's what it means to receive him. Accept him as you would me. You would accept me as a, with a heart of compassion. You would accept me in kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. That's how you would treat me. And he knows that Philemon would. And he says to him, I want you to do that for Onesimus. And by the way, I'm going to take it a little bit farther. I'm going to say, Philemon, I also want you to bear with him, to forbear, and to forgive him. Why? Because of who you are. Because the principle underlying our relationship with each other is to apply this. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, Paul's writing to the church. This is, this is for the church. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And, and oh, by the way, Philemon, I want you to wrap it all up with a big old robe of love. So you go back to Philemon. This is what Paul's expecting him to do. If then you regard me a partner, accept him, receive him demonstrate that you are the workmanship of God, that you are going to, 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 to display in all of its grandeur and glory and wonder what Jesus Christ has done for you by the manner in which you receive Onesimus back. I expect you to treat him just like you would treat me if I walk through your door. It's, it's unbelievable. It's just beautiful. Now, what does this mean for us? So, We can make application in all kinds of contexts. I know that we don't have the cultural context in which this letter is written, but we have a variety of other things that happen in the context of our own personal lives and relationships and within the church itself. The overarching thing is that what happens in the context of the body life that we are to receive each other as if Paul himself had just walked through the back door. Think about that for a minute. What would happen if Paul walked in the back door? We'd all pass out. (laughs) 
Noah would have to get out the defibrillators and the smelling salts and everything and bring us all back. But after that's over, what are we going to do? You know exactly what we're going to do. You know exactly what's going to happen. And so Paul says, that's what he's anticipating. This is so good. He's anticipating that this is going to be demonstrated. Why? Because words are okay. But man, a living example is worth its weight in gold. Right? So Philemon and Onesimus in front of the congregation, with the congregation's aid and assistance, are going to demonstrate all of this in real time. What an impact is that? Didn't think that was all in Philemon, did you? There's a lot there. And it's really, it's really where the rubber meets the road. I asked, I said this before, why Philemon? Why Philemon? This is why. This is exactly why. Because it's a demonstration of the transformative power of our salvation and what it should cause us to do. This ought to do two things for us as a, as a church and as individuals. First of all, it ought to grab us and check us in our tracks. It ought to cause us to check our hearts and ask God to forgive us for not living out the reality of this and for not demonstrating these virtues in the manner in which is consistent with what Paul is calling Philemon to do. That's the first thing. The second thing is to, is to cause us to, to be so consumed with the wonder and the magnitude of our salvation that we say to ourselves, how can I not but do these things? I want to do them because I remember that God received me when I was a vile and wretched sinner. He graciously received me and accepted me and he changed me and he transformed me and he made me new creation. And because of that, I can now do these things, not for myself, but for his glory. And I can live them out in front of people in real time and people will say, Man, don't they not love each other? Did not Jesus himself say that people will know that you're my disciples by how you love each other? That's what he said. So this is what's going on here. This is the power and the wonder and the magnitude of gospel transformation, new creation in Jesus Christ. Philippians verse 17 has got to be one of the most powerful verses in all of the Bible. If then you regard me a partner. And that, that picture, they're buddies, they're friends, they're, they're like, they're tight. It's clear. Accept him. Receive him. As you would me. I can't wait to talk to Philemon about this. I don't know about you, but this is, I mean, what must have been going through his mind? In his mind, he's been hurt, he's been injured, he's been mocked, he's been ridiculed. Perhaps other people in the town have ridiculed him because he had a slave that ran away and stole from him. He's been made a public mockery by Onesimus. And the idea, too, probably is that Philemon was probably a fairly generous master when it came to masters of that day. 
he most likely did not treat people, and wouldn't have treated his, his, his slaves in a demeaning way as would have been more common by others. Now he comes back. Waltzing through his front door with a grin on his face, carrying three epistles. Now what? Now what? He's there. I just like the idea that this teaches us something so important. The idea that these gospel imperatives, which we find in Colossians 3, 11 through 17, they're things that we're called to do, right? They're imperatives flowing out of those indicatives that went before, the wonder of our salvation. Gospel imperatives are possible because of gospel grace. Gospel grace. What we then find is that things like forbearance and forgiveness are the proving grounds of our faith. Like I said, it's where the rubber meets the road. It's where real life happens in the context of demonstrating the reality of what Jesus Christ has done. Going back, Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship. That means that beforehand he made, he's, going to, he's decided to make us and he's going to make us and equip us to do something. So Doug goes into his shop and he looks at a plank of cherry wood and he looks at it and he writes on it and cuts and does stuff and all of a sudden it's a cabinet. That cabinet is Doug's workmanship intended to do the intended purpose that Doug designed it for. Hold plates, most likely books. That's his thing, you know. We've created quite a, quite a reading culture here at Community Bible Church, which I'm grateful for, which by extension is keeping Doug employed. <laughs> He's building a lot of libraries and bookcases. But you see the picture, right? That's a workmanship. So the, the idea is that the designer has the right to identify how it will be used and enable it to be used. And so Doug builds the cabinet. He puts shelves in it and lighting and doorknobs and drawers and all those things that make it able to perform what he's designed it to do. This is exactly what's happening to us. God takes us and he shapes us, imperfect as we are, and we fail at this stuff. I mean, how many have failed at this? Yeah, we all have. It's not always easy to do. And, and perhaps even Philemon for a moment was angry about all of this. I don't know. He's a human. He's a man. I, you know, that, that's hard. It's hard. But we're enabled to do these things by God's grace. And so he challenged Philemon to do something that would be a demonstration of the fact that he indeed is God's workmanship. And the thing is this, that just wasn't for a day or an hour or a week. He anticipates that Philemon is going to continue to treat Onesimus in this manner, going back to the idea that Philemon would always treat Paul that way. 
he would always relate to Paul in that manner. So, because of Jesus Christ, because of the wonder and magnitude of our salvation, we are now able to do these things. Do I do them out of a compulsion that I can look at them and then have faith in my faithfulness? No. I do them out of a heart of gratitude, a heart of compassion, because I know what Jesus Christ has done, and I continue to seek and find ways to continue to demonstrate the reality of that by using these virtues in real time in the lives of people, especially in the church. Bearing in mind that these two letters, Colossians and Philemon, are written to an individual who is in a church, and then obviously Colossians is written to the church. So the anticipation is that this is a description of body life, of life in the church, which the world sees and wonders at. Who are those people? What are they doing? Unfortunately, the church's reputation, as we've lamented before, is one of division, divisiveness, backbiting, anger, all those things. It ought not to be. It ought not to be. And so, with that, the challenge is before us to be mindful of the obvious application that ought to be made in our own lives and praying for God's grace to do it as Paul did for Philemon. If you go back and look at verse 6, Paul says, And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. What are those good things that are in him? It's these virtues that are found in Colossians 3.12. Paul's praying that the reality of that would set in Philemon's heart. To demonstrate it to the other people in the church and most importantly to Onesimus himself. A great exhortation, a great reminder of how significant and how wonderful our salvation truly is. I hope that your hearts have been refreshed this morning by this reminder that this example would be an encouragement to you. Perhaps it's convicting. That's okay. Scripture is given for that purpose. And that the exhortation would be that we embrace what Paul is saying and that we look for opportunity to live it out in real time to demonstrate God's grace and to be the currency of grace even in other people's lives. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for this important exhortation this morning from Philemon. Thank you for the beauty of the passage, the magnitude and the wonder of it. May we not lose the significance of it in our minds in terms of reflecting on what you've done for, for us, that we're your workmanship, that you've designed and created us, given us an identity, a capacity, the ability, indeed, uh, an urgent desire even to do these things. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for the glorious wonder of transformative regeneration. We praise you for all that you have done for us. We praise you for your grace and mercy towards us. We rejoice that we are known by you. May our hearts cry out how great is our salvation and how good is our God. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen.